Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend. I am Patrick and my co-host here, the Penelope Cruz to my Pedro Almoldovar, Eric. I don't understand that reference, but thank you. <laughs> As similar to last week, a great actress to a great director. I consider you my my finest actress. Oh, thanks. That's so sweet. <laughs> I just yes. want to point out that every time you say such sights to see, I picture it being like a 90s style, such sights, the number two, and then just the letter C. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I wasn't going for that. I don't know if, do you know, actually know where the podcast name came from? Uh, Hellraiser? Yes, Hellraiser. Such sights to show you. And I always thought I love Hellraiser. So that was kind of you cool. always wished you were that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I always wish I was a weird demon. Oh, well, I'm just normal, but I get to watch a lot of movies with you, Are which you? is fun. <laughs> well, I guess um, you can follow along with my movie watching and find out <laughs> I'm on Letterboxd under Long Monkey. And uh, yeah, let's get into talking about some movies now that you insulted me. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much how we open every episode. Yeah, yeah, really. All right, well, now that that's done, have you seen anything interesting in the past two weeks? I did. I saw something that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, I saw Prey by ah. Dan Trachtenberg. It just came out a couple weeks ago on the Hulus. I also uh, saw Dan Trachten- Yeah, he, uh, I think his only other movie was 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I also really enjoyed until they kind of tried to sloppily tie it into Cloverfield. Agreed. Um, yeah, it was a really cool concept that didn't need that that tie-in. Yeah. Uh, so you said you saw it as well. Yes. Well, I thought this is what this was everything that prequels could and should be. Personally, mm-hmm. am I on the right track with you? Do you want me to just keep going? Do you want to debate already? No, no, no need to debate. I, I, I thought it was a solid movie. I enjoyed it and. I agree so far with what you're saying. So let's hear yeah. it. Hear the rest. I mean, it's the story of, I think her name was Naru, who is a female Comanche, and she wants nothing more than it seems like to be a hunter and not the gatherer of the hunter gatherer part. Right. But obviously it's the 17, I think 1719, 1700s for sure. And her Comanche tribe doesn't seem to want to let that happen. Um, I would say that there was a lot of, people up in arms about this trailer and how it's too woke. And I did not think this movie was that at all. Well, you know, you can't have a strong female lead because whatever people are very sensitive about that kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, Um, that's true. I did not think it was woke, which I also think is the stupidest thing, by the way, calling things woke just because they have a strong female or minority in the lead is just really close minded. Uh, Yes. It's not really about defeating the patriarchy or any nonsense like that. <laughs> right, right. And in fact, I would say the movie almost goes out of the way to make Nauru, uh, you know, not an all-powerful goddess, Mary Sue, mm-hmm. into uh, a character who has like a real flaw, which was interesting. Uh, I don't want to get into what her big flaw is because it's really important to the movie, but I almost thought they took it a little too far. There were like five scenes where the same her same flaw comes up and that's an interesting thing, right? Like a well-written character doesn't have just the external threats in a Mm -hmm. movie. Like 
obviously in this one it would be the predator Uh, (laughs) there's some internal conflict that she or they also have to defeat usually before defeating the external conflicts and i just thought Mm. it was like there were too many times where it was the same thing over and over again starting from like the first scene in the movie basically and then just repeatedly until the end when you know it didn't happen but that was really at least plot wise my only complaint about the movie i think it was really really i really enjoyed it i thought it paid homage to the original without going over the top in contrast to top gun maverick which (laughs) i think these are two fine approaches to making a prequel you know, mm-hmm. uh, Top Gun leaned hard, maybe a little too much on doing exactly what the first movie did. I think right. we talked in our episode about how, like, it's kind of unrealistic that they would be playing the same exact song on the piano. You know, <laughs> of uh, Predator had all these little moments that I don't want to ruin that referenced the original uh, mm-hmm. and then kind yep. of veered off into something different, gave it its own little twist, which I thought was really delightful. You know, even when I thought something was clearly going to happen and maybe it didn't work out the way that I originally thought. Yeah, I agree. I think it's interesting that the Predator series has so many movies and I wasn't expecting much because I'm like, how many stories could you tell of an alien hunter, you know, <laughs> and so make it many. interesting? How dare uh, you? Apparently you can tell one more. That's a, that's a decent story, at least. Um, but I, I think I know what you're talking about with the flaw and I, I do like that about the character. But I agree. I thought it was it, fine, it, it, but they just kept going to the well yeah. over yeah, and over and over again. You get the point. <laughs> yep. Um, but I also want to point that the action scenes were really well done. I You can see where people were. There was a cool one-take scene that, that uh, worked really well. Are you talking yeah, about the just... Predator versus the French trappers? Yes. Because <laughs> that was fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Like, you can... After watching, I'll go into another movie in a second, that horrible action scenes. It was nice to watch just one that at least knew where to put the camera and knew how to block and things like that. Like the basics, which is kind of rare nowadays to get like a solid action scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I only have like two real gripes about the movie. That was a minor gripe about the character. Uh, Uh I did think it was an important, interesting flaw. But Mm -hmm. one, this movie was absolutely beautiful i thought it's mm-hmm. almost like a graphic novel style movie in that each uh frame seemed like it could have been just a still picture that would have been pretty interesting i really love the way trachtenberg composed his shots i thought like you had all of these ansel adams-esque kind of landscape shots when she's traveling through the canadian wilderness because this was shot yes. in canada yeah great location work uh which you're like how is this a negative you need to see this in the theaters and you can't. Yes. It's a Hulu only release. And I just was sitting on my couch watching this and I have a big TV and I was like, I want this to be in the theaters with like a high quality sound system, like a a giant IMAX screen. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of movie that is made for that. And you can't see it. Right. And that's like a big negative to me. Hopefully someday maybe they'll release it in theaters. I don't know. Yeah, it's getting a lot of buzz, so who knows? But yeah, I agree. It was definitely a, it would have been a great summer blockbuster movie, one of the better ones that I've seen all year. So, yeah, and uh, I did not like the new design of the Predator. I thought it was kind of silly. Really, I don't even know the differences. I guess I'm not as familiar with the original Predator as as you are, but I've seen it and I couldn't really well, tell. He's an interstellar traveler 
but he's dressed in what appear to be bones and like very tribal kind of dress, which I know he's going back and fighting Native Americans, but right. they've never cared know about a technological <laughs> deficit. And I don't think yeah. he's like flying a bone ship through space. So it was just a weird <laughs> choice. I thought okay. it looked cool, but I was just like, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can see I that. kind of liked the fact that they took away. Um, I don't know as much as you probably think I do. I guess his uh, shoulder plasma blaster is an important weapon. I do remember it from the first Predator. I do remember, yeah. And they took some of those away, and I don't mind that, because it has been 300 years, but you're still talking about an interstellar space monster alien. Like right, He's not yeah. going to be dressed cloak. in... <laughs> yeah, even his like wrist uh, controller thing was appeared to be made of bone. And I'm just like, why? It's not a right, camouflage right. thing. Like He's invisible. Mm-hmm. it's just a weird choice to me to make it, I don't know, call back to tribalism of Native American? I have no idea. Yeah, I guess to go with the aesthetic. But yeah, I see your point. It, I didn't catch it. So to the movie's credit, I didn't even notice that that was an issue. His whole helmet is a giant bone skull. I, th- I thought it was more of like just trophies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let me talk about the movie that had horrible action scenes very briefly. You may have seen it. I don't know. The Gray Man on Netflix by oh. the Russo Brothers. Yep, I saw that too. Yeah, it's – so story – I'm not even going to go into story. It's pulpy, uh, you know, secret agent on a run, everyone's trying to kill him type of story, which we've seen a lot. And in Ryan Gosling's hand as an actor, it's entertaining. He's a you know a charismatic individual, but the action scenes are just almost unintelligible. It's dark. Not almost. They were. <laughs> they were like CGI, like obscuring everything. There, that scene in the plane, the parachute. Where, yeah, I had yeah. no idea what was happening at all, and it really took I me out of the movie. I still don't know how he lived, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the concept is cool. Like if you, I can see that scene of like where the plane's out of control and you're in zero gravity for moments. I can see that being a really cool fight scene in a capable director's hands, but I have no idea what happened on this production. Yeah. So it was a real, I mean, I wasn't expecting much, but I was still pretty disappointed in that one. I thought it'd at least be pulpy fun, kind of like prey, you know, just like a solid action movie, but no, it was definitely subpar. I did think it was fun, but I think you're correct in that it had so much more potential. Mm-hmm. It could have been like a really slick kind of uh, James Bond meets the Kingsman kind of style thing. Because those are mm-hmm. the kinds of things that they're doing is this Kingsman almost but not quite like superhero assassin killers trying to mm-hmm. fight each other. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the concept is fun. I really loved Chris Evans's character. Was hilarious. That is true. Yeah, he, he definitely uh, So there were like villain. some good moments, but you're right. The action, if they shot it like whoever directed John Wick, which I'm embarrassed to not know, if that person <laughs> did this movie, it would have been phenomenal, I think. Because mm-hmm. I don't think the script was the saying? problem. I don't think. Right. Yeah, it was mostly the action scenes because they would have these cool, fun moments. And then mm-hmm. action scene, you're like, uh. And that's, yeah. you know, a big problem in an action movie. Right. And they were long action scenes, too. <laughs> this is not a short, short movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. But I think there's going to uh, be a sequel, so maybe they'll get it right the second time. Yeah. The beige When are sequels ever worse than the original, right? <laughs> right. 
Oh, man. Okay, so you mentioned James Bond. That was the next movie I saw. The new James Bond, No Time to Die. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? I saw it in the theaters, but I'm not going to lie. I barely remember it. It's a solid Bond movie, but the problem is, let me see the running time on this monster. It is a long one at um, 163 minutes, and everything in it is good. The the intrigue, the plot is, is decent. Uh, Daniel Craig is a good Bond in general, and the action scenes were solid. But the problem was, it just so much Bond. It's like two, two hours and 40 minutes of Bond. I was just in like in Bond overload. I'm like, oh my God, there's more Bond action, another Bond twist. I couldn't handle that much James Bond. <laughs> I think that's what it came down to. Like, it's a good movie. It's just a lot of yeah. Bond. I feel like a lot of the Bond movies lately have been like very well made, but forgettable. And yeah. the problem I'm having with them is that I, they're trying to have like that, you know, the A story of Bond, you know, solving whatever catastrophe he's trying to prevent. But then there's mm-hmm. like also now a B story that's a romance, like an ongoing, it seems like to me anyway. Mm-hmm. And I can't follow it because I don't remember what happened in the last movie. And I'm like, <laughs> is this the same girl from last time? Is he actually in love with this person or what's going yeah. on? Which is probably a problem with me as a viewer for just like kind of flushing these out of my brain about 10 minutes after walking out of the theater. But yeah, but it's something, it's something to consider. I mean, you can't just walk into this one and get the full story without like some of the other James Bond movies. They're standalone. You can just walk in and watch them and you get a James Bond adventure and this yeah, one I really felt like i was missing something this was definitely the culmination of the last four or five daniel craig james bond movies that you know wraps up his storyline which you know, i did it did it in a decent way i just didn't like the villain either i don't know if you remember the uh the villain but um the uh, rami malik was pretty underused as that character oh yeah i, I see here i was thinking that that was two bond movies ago i completely right. forgot about it <laughs> yeah he was just like a creepy uh guy rami malik you know? is great i like him and leah sadu was a nice one right yep she's yep. a good she's, actress she's, yeah. there's a lot of talent in this yeah so I, I gave it a good rating i just don't uh it's just so much bond if you're a bond fan you'll probably love it but i'm not a huge bond fan so it's you know take that with a grain of salt yeah i'm a bond fan in as much as i enjoy that cool kind of like slick suave action hero from time to yeah. time, but I yeah. don't, I'm not in the lore. It wasn't a big deal to me when Blofeld was in the last movie or two movies right. ago. I did not mm. have like a fangasm over Spectre or any of that stuff. I don't know what mm. any of that is. So, you know, maybe just don't listen to my opinion on this one. <laughs> yeah. Same with me. <laughs> so did you see anything else interesting? Not really. Not besides the movies we watched for this week. Oh, awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about two really fast. Uh, Charlie Chaplin's The Gold Rush. I know you're a huge uh, chap head. Yep. I'm, I'm, <laughs> no. I've chapped myself over here, over, <laughs> over Chaplin. Chafed is probably the, what you have been doing. But uh, The well, Gold Rush. Once you get rush. past Chafe, you get to Chaplin. <laughs> oh, God. So this is one of his uh, better movies. I'm not, I haven't seen a lot of Charlie Chaplin, um, but I can see how he is considered one of the fathers of cinema. He really knew how to tell a story cinematically, even, you know, 100 
years ago, you know, back before anybody kind of knew what movies could do. And he, he kind of figured it out. So yeah, I'm becoming a big fan. And this movie is definitely one of his better has great comedy has great sort of melodrama. It actually made me really sad at some points and pretty happy. I would have been sad the whole time. Oh, come on. You can, you have what 89 minutes in you to watch a, you know, Charlie Chaplin movie. No, Mm. (laughs) maybe one will show up on a random roll someday. Maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, the gold rush, I recommend it. If you're a Chaplin fan, you've probably seen it. If not, it's a great place to start. And on the other end of the spectrum, this is one that you should watch. The uh, How Did This Get Made recently did a live show about it. Love on a Leash from 2011. <sighs> so this is one of those bad movies that is in the realm of like bad in a very special way, like The Room or Miami Connection. Oh, awesome. It's, it's definitely one of those. Like I would, I would totally put that if I did program a bad movie festival, it would be like these three movies. <laughs> so love and a leash is the story of a dog who wants to be human and make a woman fall in love with him so he can transform back into a human. So he's trying to get, uh, he's a talking dog that is trying to get a woman to fall in love with him. But wait, you said to turn back into a human. He so was, was a human he originally in a previous a human? life. In a previous life, he was a human. Oh, God. In in this life, he's a dog. (laughs) And it is (laughs) so bizarre. The editing is all over the place. There's no, this the person who made it, Fen Tien, um, I read some backstory on it. She wanted to tell a sort of a religious story about love, you know, getting uh, about just the power of love, really. She went to some Chinese church to fund the movie and she never made a movie before and it shows and it is, I can't really go into it without ruining some of the great things that you will see. So I'm just going to leave it there. Love on a leash. You should watch it. Anybody who's interested in the room or Miami connection or fight of fury or anything troll Two. this is another one of those movies for sure. Well, if we're going in this direction, then I do have one more. Because I'm going to see How Did This Get Made live on Wednesday. And the movie that they're doing is Oogie Loves. Something (laughs) about a magical balloon adventure. Which was probably just about the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And so many famous people were in this movie. It's like uh, the director of The Room directed a Teletubbies movie. Oh my, I'm looking at it now. I'm looking at this cast. It's re- it's wow. four children. They sing, but this is the horniest children's movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> really? Like it's pretty clear that the vacuum cleaner is banging the window. Um, <laughs> these kids go and they grab these balloons that look like perverts because it's their friend's birthday party. And let, let me try to remember who is in this. Cloris Leachman. Yep. Carrie Elwes. Yes. Chaz Palminteri. Christopher Lloyd. Who's the girl who's with him? Jamie Presley. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. Tony Braxton. Tony Braxton. (laughs) 
I'm like, what did the producers of this movie have on all of these people to get them in it? It is the lowest <laughs> opening movie of all time that uh, opened in over 2000 theaters. That is oh, a fun got, bit of trivia. The, this got that big a release. Oh my God. It opened in more than 2000 theaters and it only earned $400,000. I want to say in the neighborhood of $450,000. It's oh. opening weekend with a budget of $20 million and a marketing budget of 40 million. They spent twice as much money trying to market this piece of crap than they did making it. So wait, and it does not a, look like $20 million. Is this a CGI movie or real puppets no. or what? Puppets. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, so is this the type of movie that you enjoyed watching because it was so bad? I was laughing the whole time, <laughs> but, um, Full disclosure, I did take an edible, so <laughs> yeah, that, so that may have, have improved my influence. enjoyment of it. I may have just otherwise been baffled and annoyed. Okay. I really want to watch this. Maybe I'll follow your lead <laughs> and do it. But uh, man, may, okay, we should trade movies. You should watch Love on a Leash and I should watch Olgie Loves. <laughs> Deal. All right. <laughs> I, it's funny because I was so mad when they released. They are doing some great movies on this tour. Hard yeah. Target. You know, I love Hard Target. Oh, yeah, I know. That's, that's uh, They're great. doing Morbius in Chicago. I forget what some of the other movies. And then I was like, Oogie Loves. What the fuck is that? I don't want to watch this. Michigan Hasn't Detroit suffered one? enough? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but after watching it, I was like, no. Actually, about halfway through, I was like, this is the perfect movie for this podcast. And I cannot wait. Okay, good. When is this show? Wednesday. Oh, cool. Well, I will talk to you after Wednesday. I can't wait to for the next episode to hear how it went. <laughs> cool. Wow. That's exciting. I'm happy for you. Yeah, I missed the the live show of Love on a Leash, so I just watched it for my own amusement. All right, well, there are other movies we watched for our mutual benefit, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I, I don't know how I benefited from this, but... All right, well, the goal of this podcast, we each watch the same movie that we randomly chose last episode, and then we each watch our own movie inspired by that film. So the film we watched today for today's episode was Meatballs, 1979, directed by Ivan Reitman. I'm going to give you a short synopsis of this one. (laughs) Bill Murray stars as Tripper Harrison, a man-child who long ago joined the North Star summer camp and apparently never left. Now a counselor, he uses his unique slacker joviality to befriend an outcast child play pranks on the headmaster and woo fellow camp counselor Roxanne via sexual harassment and assault. The film culminates in the Olympiad competition against the rival rich kids at camp Mohawk. Will our underdog heroes be able to win as Tripper Harrison repeatedly states in a rousing speech, it just doesn't matter. That is spot on. (laughs) What did you think of this film? If you told me that the three people associated with this movie would go on to rule cinema in the 80s, I would have thought you were absolutely crazy because this was terrible. Terrible, really? I I thought this was really bad. There was 
not much of a plot to me. It felt like watching a whole bunch of not funny skits held together yeah. by the same location. It's definitely episodic for sure. Uh, nobody had, there was no conflict until the very end. Nobody seemed to have any goals or the goals that they had were like, you know, the one kid just doesn't want to get made fun of. So what does he do? He hangs out with Bill Murray all summer. Like, yeah, it was a hangout movie. Yeah. There was like, yeah, not it was much literally just watching nope. people do nothing and also not be funny, which is not great for a comedy. <laughs> there was no dr- story that drove, drove it that I completely agree with. I did. Lo- I was amused at some of the jokes for sure. I thought it was, you know, I liked Bill Murray's just like, I don't know, nonstop talking. He, had he was completely unhinged. It felt like he didn't have a skit. <laughs> it was just like vibing on screen and they were just filming him. Yeah. And it's probably what it was, but I enjoyed, you know, his character for the most part until he got pretty over the top in some scenes. The, uh, the, the, the wrestling scene, for example, with him and Roxanne. Yeah. Was just... But then she like falls in love with him at the end, which I was like, what? Yeah. So the scene, he, he, he just basically sexually assaulted you in like this main room where you were supposed to be working and like now you're moving in together at the end of the movie with really not much in between besides like having sex in the lake. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very dated in that regard. Like, you know, 1979. So it's a product of, of its time for sure. Doesn't make it any more pleasant to watch that stuff, but yeah. um, it, yeah. So I liked some of the skits and, and, and things. So I enjoyed watching it in general but the lack of any conflict was a problem, especially at the end when it feels like the movie wants you to root for these people to win the competition against Mohawk, the Olympiad. Yep. And I, especially after Bill Murray's speech where he actually literally says, it doesn't matter if we win or not, then why do I care if you win or not as an audience member? Yeah. Like there was no personality or really, you know, charisma to many of these people. Uh-huh. I don't think I know any of their names at this point, except for Bill Murray's character. Right. Um, they just kind of walk around doing things and like, yeah, nobody has a goal. What are the stakes here? The uh-huh. The camp doesn't seem to be in danger. Like in, um, oh my God, I'm blanking. What Hot American Summer uh-huh. is what I wanted to watch after this. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've seen it too many times, but the, you know, the camp's not in danger. None of them are in danger. Like even the end, you would think the resolution is Bill Murray had wanted to be with Roxanne, but there's only like two scenes in the movie where that's even a thing. Right. And then, you know, three quarters of the way through, they're pretty much together. So it's, you know, what else are we with without any real obstacles? You know, they Mm -hmm. kind of make you like you said camp mohawk at the end is their rival and in the beginning there's like a scene where they mention camp mohawk being the rival school but there's no you know they could have had a really cool like revenge of the nerds type relationship with the the betas and the nerds the lambda lambda lambdas totally but there's no interaction between the two groups until the very end you know I, Mm -hmm. i felt like this could have been a really funny good movie you know, seven years before Revenge of the Nerds came out. Um, set the stakes, set the stakes early, keep the stakes in the forefront of the movie. Yeah. Until it the climax. Have to be like a huge part. Just have like the kids from Camp Mohawk show up and be dicks a couple times or whatever. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It doesn't. All you get is 
the beginning scene where you can see the differences between the rich kids of Mohawk and then our, our heroes of Camp North Star, where they're all getting on their buses and the, the rich kids have like, you know, people serving, serving them hors d'oeuvres and things like that. And they're pulling up in limos. I thought that was funny. I was like, okay, this is going to be cool. It's going to be, yeah. you know, the underdogs versus these rich kids. And it never materialized. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just can't believe that the guys who made ghostbusters and stripes and Ivan Reitman made twins and kindergarten cop and mm-hmm. all of the things that Bill Murray uh, and uh, Ramis Ramis wrote one of the possibly the greatest comedy of all time in Groundhog Day mm-hmm. and he wrote this and it's just like how did you go from that to that in like 10 years 12 years whatever it was like well, it's, it's I guess it gives time. me hope definitely maybe <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely like an early movie in all their careers I don't yeah. know if it's Ivan Reitman's first but it's definitely like his pretty close to his first movie and uh, same thing with Bill Murray. This is like really close. This is literally that. his first starring role. Yeah. Yeah. So it's them, I guess everyone getting their feet wet. And it obviously was some sort of a hit since they made so many sequels. Um, I was always while watching it, I was like, okay, Revenge of the Nerds is better. And Animal House is much better. And it was done before this. So I felt like this was just like a, a made to capitalize on the success of animal house because it kind of had the same structure without any of the real drive. Yeah. It was definitely almost like in that gray area of not quite, but almost maybe inspiring or being a raunch comedy. I was Mm -hmm. shocked until I remembered that there was no PG 13 rating at this point, that this was just a PG Mm because it's not R, but it's definitely not a PG or at least what I would associate with a PG movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some risky things in here. I just, yeah, I think that they, like I was saying, they took the success of Animal House and got another Saturday Night Live alum, some you know similar writers, and mm-hmm. uh, and kind of put together a similar movie in in concept, but it doesn't work as well for sure. You even have Bill Murray doing that rousing speech, just like. Uh, What's his name from Animal House? Belushi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it kind of aped a lot of things. You got the the rich kid uh, camp instead of the rich kid fraternity, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I found myself amused, though, throughout the movie. Not all the time, but enough to give it two and a half stars. I didn't think it was horrible. I would give it one and a half to two. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think you and I think pushed it into the two and a half stars for me. It was the the I actually cared about the final race at the end. Yeah, that was the only kid you cared about. But yeah, I mean, even then, I I didn't really care. Like his his goal was never to run a race. His goal was to just not get picked on at camp. So even like the thing he accomplished was, you know, kind of hollow. Like I felt good for him, but it's like, I guess that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I like the way Reitman directed that. Just silent, just seeing them like through the woods, running through the woods. And mm-hmm. if this panting. The, yeah. The setup to this for people listening is that there's a lot of panting. Um, the Olympiad comes down to the final event and, and uh, Bill Murray's character convinces 
everyone to let this kid enter the the long distance run competition and whoever wins that's going to win the event and the it's kind of artificial because the kid has been running with bill murray this whole movie that's how they kind of bonded and that was clearly didn't fit when i first saw it appear on screen like bill murray doesn't seem like a character who would be, get up early to start running <laughs> he clearly doesn't even look like it in that scene he's like yeah. dying yeah so i was like what's the point of this and then at the end i'm like oh, okay they really just put that in there so they can have this ending scene where the kid is gonna save the day by winning this race still i like the way it was shot that that race so. i did read um that that I guess, well, I guess it must've been Reitman. I was going to say the director Reitman liked the chemistry between the boy actor and Bill Murray so much that they cut out other scenes. And I wonder if those would have been better served the movie in favor of like scenes with this little kid and Bill Murray, they cut out other scenes with like the camp counselors and stuff like that. Okay. So I don't know what those scenes are, but. Yeah, that, that could be. So I wonder I, if those jogging scenes were some of the things that were put in. Right, right. In place of that. Yeah, I did find it odd that the kid just always was with Bill Murray. Um, I did like the for when you're talking about the counselors, I did like the song around the campfire that kind of got that nostalgic feeling of like hanging out the summer with your, you know, with your friends. That's going to that's going to end, you know, that that yeah. feeling came across. So I did like that. Yeah. So I also really liked things. Bill Murray in his morning announcements and the camp loudspeakers. Those yeah, were very yeah. funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. True. But then I'd face another, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes of monotony. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we're pretty close. I just liked uh, a bit more of it than you did. Well, I, I hope it inspired you to watch something good. Is that my cue? That is your cue. <laughs> <laughs> it did, actually. Uh, oh, cool. I'm still following. This was a, a tough one. I'm still following my Amazon Prime people also watched suggestion list. And okay. I came across a movie that I can't believe I've never seen before. Uh, one Crazy Summer. <gasps> Have you seen that? Yes. I love One Crazy Summer. I, I never saw it before. And I'm not going to say who directed it because I'm embarrassed. Oh, um, I know. <laughs> it came out in 1986. It's starring John Cusack, Demi Moore, Bobcat Goldthwait, Curtis Armstrong, and probably a bunch of other actors. I know his best friend I've seen in other things, but I can't imagine what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, John Cusack's character has just graduated high school. He's an artist. This whole setup is weird because it doesn't really factor into anything but getting him to go on this trip. But anyway, he's an artist who needs to complete his portfolio his art portfolio for some college scholarship that is never again brought up in the movie, but he's got (laughs) writers or I guess cartoonists block. Um, And he thinks it's because he's never been in love. So his friend invites him to his summer house on Nantucket. So of course he goes, otherwise there wouldn't be a movie. Of course. Along the way, he rescues Demi Moore from this comically insane biker gang of the eighties. They get to Nantucket and it turns out that Demi Moore has just inherited a ton of land, but there's a catch. She owes $3,000 to the bank and in a week or they'll foreclose on it. And of course there's a rich evil landowner or land developer because it's the eighties who wants that land to become a lobster restaurant. (laughs) 
And that is most of the movie. Demi Moore is a singer, so she's going around town trying to raise money. John Cusack is in the middle of a hilarious love triangle. He clearly likes Demi Moore, but then the girlfriend of the rich land developer's son is just like constantly coming on to him and basically forcing him into dates. Um, And then the movie culminates in a boat race, essentially to save the land from this lobster restaurant. And I was watching this movie the whole time and I'm like, God, this movie is familiar. What does this remind me of? And then all of a sudden during one of the animation sequences, I was like, Oh my God, did the same guy who made better off dead make this? And I went to IMDb. I paused the movie and I was so proud of myself because I picked it out. And I would say, this movie is like, if you've seen Better Off Dead, this is Better Off Dead at the beach instead of on a mountain. It's a lot of the same comic sensibilities. The The plot is eerily similar. Instead of skiing down the mountain on one ski, he's uh, winning a boat race. But it is very similar. Um, and it's almost like when I was watching it, I was like, it's almost like he saw the Goonies came out the year before and liked the idea of a land developer villain. Cause that was very much like those guys who are trying to buy the Goonies houses is like the, the villain in this is a goofier unhinged version of those people. Yeah. That's a very 80s like, thing. Yeah. He's like, I just want to make the Goonies, but also better off dead again. <laughs> right. With John Cusack, with John Cusack. <laughs> and we'll throw in some Bobcat Goldthwait. Oh man. As a crazy person. I love it. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm a big fan of Savage Steve. Savage Steve Holland. What a cool name. Savage Steve Holland. Yeah. There are so many like weird lap slapstick jokes. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminded me of like either a really toned down Zucker brothers or like John Hughes off the rails. Like it had that very Mm -hmm. 80s teen comedy vibe, but also insane. Like um, there are these two little girls there. You know, they bring in this concept of this girl. You better not make fun of her really ugly dog. And she's got a really ugly dog. And there's these two girls and they start making fun of her. And like seconds before the crossing guard told them not to make faces or they'll get hit in the back and they'll get stuck like that. So they start making faces at this dog and the the girl slaps her in the back. And then both of their faces are stuck in these like hilarious hilarious ugly girl faces and they keep showing up at random parts of the movie. <laughs> yeah i know that's the kind of movie the, the one of the, the motorcycle guy who is played by the guy who played sloth he, oh really yeah they they jump a car into a ferry at one point which is goddamn hilarious so he tries to follow on his motorcycle ends up in the water and he comes out with like fish sticking out of his hair and his beard <laughs> it's very surreal i always admired how off the wall the humor in those movies are um you know it's definitely not grounded in reality and it's like cartoonish the possibilities of cinema realized in a in like a broad comedy (laughs) you know it would i loved it i can't believe i haven't seen it before because i have loved better off dead since i was a small small child Mm. We should see what else Savage Steve has done. I've seen uh, he's done a lot of TV and not a whole How lot I get of into college. Movies. How I get into college is another good '80s one, not as good as those two. Uh, yeah, and then a lot of like weird, uh, newer, made-for-TV stuff. It looks like, but um, yeah, I'm glad you saw that one. I'm glad you liked it. 
Yeah, I guess it kind of does feel like Wet Hot American Summer in a way. I think that's similar humor. Mm-hmm. Like just like surreal stuff happening all the time. Yeah, I would say this is like probably closer to normal than that, but not much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Makes me want to watch it again because it's been a while. And better yep. off dead. <laughs> a good little double feature. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about mine. Mine also involves a, a horribly evil 80s land developer <laughs> trying to take over a summer camp because I went the summer camp route for mine. I wanted to, but I couldn't find anything really that I was at all interested in. Well, did you look through the uh, filmography of one Jim Varney? Oh, Ernest Goes to Camp? <laughs> yes, I watched Ernest Goes to Camp. I haven't seen Someday an Ernest we'll movie. Someday we'll pick the same movie. That's my dream. I, <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> I haven't seen an Ernest movie since I was a kid. So I was like, Ernest Goes to Camp is the first one. This is a good chance to kind of see where it all began, to see if I still enjoy them as much as I did when I was seven. <laughs> God, I just don't want to know the answer to that question for myself. All right, well, I will tell you that I did enjoy it. It is not a great movie. I'm not going to go start watching all the Ernest movies again, but I, I'm glad I revisited the character. So uh, this is his first movie. So I guess uh, before that, he was only a character in commercials and stuff. Uh, so he is a summer camp repairman and he, all he wants to do is be like a camp counselor. That's his dream at this camp. Dream. Um, and the camp is run by, uh, you know, just so, some some camp counselors are kind of mean to him, but the owner is a is a Native American uh, man, the last of his tribe. Him and his granddaughter are the last of the tribe, and they own the land. And they built the summer camp to instill the the values of their tribes into the 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 kids that attend. And Jim Varney Ernest knows everything about this tribe and has been learning the sign language and all the rituals and knows everything about being a camp counselor, but he just, you know, he's a buffoon. He's always hurting himself. One thing I noticed about this Ernest movie is I did not realize how much he hurts himself in these movies. He's always falling down or getting crushed or getting hit by things. It's pretty brutal. These movies are like the outtakes of a Jackie Chan blooper reel. Yeah, really? <laughs> Uh, so long story short, there's an evil land developer who wants to buy the land to harvest the minerals beneath, uh, played by John Vernon, who you would recognize from a lot of things if you saw him. He plays a good uh, evil businessman. And um, he kind of tricks the Native American chief to giving up the rights to the land because of Ernest not uh, smart enough to understand that he was using Ernest for a sign language to trick the chief into signing some papers. And then uh, the bulldozers come in and Ernest and the kids have to stop it. One subplot I didn't mention was that there were some uh, delinquent kids from a juvenile uh, facility sent to this camp called the second chance program. And Ernest since no one else was going to do it, is given the job of being their counselor provisionally. So he gets to be a counselor. He gets to turn these second chance kids around who want nothing to do with camp. And he instills the values of this camp into them. 
and together they take on the Do you have to make it sound company. so dirty? <laughs> uh, so there's nothing dirty going on. It's just a lot of uh, slapstick, a lot of violence, and clear. So the thing that is better about than with this than meatballs is that clear stakes. Everything. Yeah, <laughs> you you knew who the bad guys were. You knew you know you knew what the good guys needed to do. It's like very black and white. You just want to see these kids fight off these, you know, the, these construction workers. And they do by blowing up a lot of equipment and, uh, you know, shooting so they're, homemade they're bows and arrows at things. Yeah, they basically are. <laughs> it all wraps up very nicely with Ernest saving the day. And, uh, yeah, I have to admit that when the, the not the training montage, but like the the montage of them getting ready for the big climax, you know, building all their weapons of war and like prepping their plans. I was like, and had a cool 80s song. I was like, I'm totally into this. This is cool. (laughs) You know, so you can picture, picture that. (laughs) You might not know the answer to this question, but I'm just wondering is, I know Ernest goes to jail is a sequel to this, but is it the sequel? Is that why Ernest was in jail? For uh, like blowing up the sabotaging <laughs> industrial sabotage. Ernest saves Christmas is the next one. Oh. <laughs> and then Ernest goes to Splash Mountain. I think that's Wait. a short. <laughs> oh, I was like, I don't remember that one. I remember that's Ernest scared stupid. Then he goes to jail. Then he gets scared stupid. Uh, yeah. And then there's there's a bunch more after that. Slam dunk Ernest. Ernest goes to Africa. Oh my. Oh, keeps no. going. <laughs> <laughs> Ernest in the army. Okay. Let's not, uh, not worry about that. But <laughs> the first one, you know, at least does the character right. I'm not going to say it's a good movie or really entertaining to watch, but it at least knows what it's doing and does the eighties kitschiness fairly well. Yeah. I remember loving it as a kid, but it's one of those things that I think I might keep locked in a vault for a while. Yeah, I don't. I see no reason to watch it again. What was your favorite Ernest when you were younger? Do you remember? I think it was Ernest Scared Stupid because I've always loved Halloween. Me too. That but was my favorite. And again, we were, it's been like thirty we were 10 years or since 11. I've seen it. Ten or eleven, we were when that came out. Yeah, we were perfect age. But yeah, I remember that one. Miac. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> one. At least it was. But yeah, I'm not going to be watching any more Ernest anytime soon. I'm sure he's rolling over in his grave. Yep. All right. Well, maybe, maybe if we randomly roll on this movie chart, an Ernest movie might get picked. I have no idea what's on here. It's completely random. Who knows? Whose turn is it? I think it's your turn. You can roll. I have updated the chart. It is ready to go. See what we, we can got get 20, 20 fantastic choices on here. Let's see what happens. Yep. What am I rooting for? Are you rooting for anyone in particular? Nothing in particular. There's definitely some I'm not rooting for. <laughs> I think I'm rooting for either Deathgasm or Bone Tomahawk just because of the names. Cool names. Number eight, Guns Akimbo. Okay, Guns Akimbo, yeah. That one is a newer movie. Starring everyone's favorite uh, Harry Harry Potter Potter. actor, Daniel Radcliffe. Yep. 
2019, an ordinary guy suddenly finds himself forced to fight a gladiator-like battle for a dark website that streams the violence for viewers. Hey, I really cool. appreciate that Daniel Radcliffe is like not just coasting by on his fame and I don't know, maybe using the cushion he got from Harry Potter to do movies that he actually wants to do for the most part, it seems because they're all like really interesting. Yeah. He can literally do anything he wants for the rest of his life. And he seems to be doing including it, so. nothing at all ever again. Yes. <laughs> so good for him. Good for him. He's a good actor. I like him. I've heard him in interviews too. He seems like a stand up guy. Yeah, it's got to be impossible to grow up with that level of fame and be normal, but he seems to maybe have succeeded somehow. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully Guns Akimbo is not normal and is an interesting movie to watch. We shall see. Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we could uh, bring this episode to a close. As always, you can follow along on Letterboxd. My name on there is Long Monkey, and check out my other projects on proleary.com. Eric, as always, is there anything you would like to plug? No, a simple no will suffice this time. Okay. Well, if that is the case, then have a good night and sweet dreams.